don't think it's either or. I don't think you either serve or you perform. I think serving is the path to superior performance. From Tallahassee to the Keys and everywhere in between, this is Education Elevated on the FLCMAA Podcast Network. Serving others is more powerful than you think. In fact, it performs. Cheryl Backhelder, former CEO of Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, offers us proof in this informative and exciting educational session. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with the club industry today. Um, that's a real honor for me. You're in a business that I love dearly, and uh, you've dedicated your life to serving guests and creating lovely experiences for them every time they come to your clubs. That is uh, my favorite business proposition uh, because it's all about serving. It's all about serving one another. So the thing, as Tommy said, I think serving is a path to superior performance. And maybe that makes me different than some of the theme songs you've heard about servant leadership, uh, because I don't think it's either or. I don't think you either serve or you perform. I think serving is the path to superior performance. And so uh, that's what we're gonna talk about today. I'm gonna give you one case example from my Popeye's leadership experience. I'm gonna talk about how that specifically applies to you, you and your clubs and your leadership. Um, and then we're gonna have some Q&A at the end um, uh, to understand where you need uh, help, response, ideas. So I like to start though with a definition of servant leadership because um, I know I struggled as a leader to find a definition of leadership that I really could relate to. So I'm gonna give you my favorite one here this morning as Beth gets ready to share screen. Um, it's from a, uh, an author named James Hunter who wrote the world's most powerful leadership principle. And now it's up here on the screen. If you can uh, get rid of the speaker notes, Beth, um, we'll be able to see that really, really well. Here's the definition. The skills of influencing people to enthusiastically work towards goals that are identified as being for the common good with character that inspires confidence. So um, actually, if you go down to the bottom of the PowerPoint screen and click on that little uh, TV screen, it'll go to full screen. There you go. So let's talk about the parts of it. First influence, John Maxwell always says it this way. He says, all leadership is influence, whether you're at work, at home, in the community, or just having lunch with a friend, you're an influence in that moment because you have the opportunity to lead them to your line of thinking, to your way of seeing things. So if you're wondering on this call, if you're really a leader, maybe it's your boss that's the leader, I want first and foremost to challenge you that you in fact are always a leader because you're always in a position of influence. And then I love this word enthusiasm or enthusiastically. Um, Walt, uh, Waldo Emerson, a poet said, nothing great is ever accomplished without enthusiasm. And I put that on my desk forever because 
why on earth would I want to spend all these hours in the restaurant business if I were not excited about what I was doing? So enthusiasm is essential to great leadership. Then goals. I wish it said bold, hairy, audacious goals, because I think those are the right ones. Leaders who have the courage to take their team to somewhere really exciting and bold in their goals. Then this idea of common good, you know, we're all in this for a common purpose, a common good. It's not just about us. And then these last two traits uh, with character that inspires competence. You know, character has been proven in research by many uh, authors and consultants to say people actually follow your character. Um, and if your character is not intact, people often refuse to follow. So character is really essential to leadership. And it, in fact, inspires confidence more than ego, right? Does that make sense, right? A, a big ego person seems to be all about themselves, a person that really inspires your confidence as someone you think is for you or for the team. So just kicking us off today, I want you to be thinking all the way through this presentation about how do we um, live out our leadership convictions. If you share these convictions about being a servant leader or you're exploring them because you think this might be a great approach to leadership, let's think as we walk through these tenets this morning, what are my convictions as a leader? What is my definition of leadership? How do I wanna live that out in the place where I'm called to work? So I'll tell you how I got on this path. My journey started about 25 years ago when I was working for this really big corporation called RJR Nabisco. It is no longer, so I can talk about it freely. During my tenure there, there was a two year period where I worked back to back with two different bosses. I'll never forget the first meeting I had with boss number one. When I met with him, he said, you know, Cheryl, I chose you for this role to put you on this team because I really believe you have the talent that we need uh, to create excitement and innovation in this business. And I'm really looking forward to working with you. This is going to be fun. I had never met boss number one till this meeting. This is the first conversation. And I remember going home that night saying to my husband, I don't think I've ever been welcomed to a job like that before. He was like anticipating that we were going to do great work together. He was like excited to have me as part of this team, thought my skills were important. And you know what? Working for him, we created the best performing business unit in that company. We were one of six business units. We became the best performing in less than one year. And it was so much fun. Well, then he had to retire as bosses do and boss number two came on board. Here's my first meeting with boss number two. He took me out to dinner, sat across from the table, looked at me and says, hello, Cheryl. I've heard that you're good at what you do. My job is to see if I can trip you up. And then he smiled wide as if that was really hilarious to say. But you know, I've never forgotten those words. And when I went home that night, I said to my husband, I don't think this is gonna be so great. Under the leadership of that boss, our division lost momentum in less than a year. Most of the leaders left, including me. And two years later, that division was sold 
for, to another company for not so great a price. So you probably are too young to remember this, but there was a book written about this company and the title was Barbarians at the Gate. Great title. Here's what I learned from working for the barbarians. The first boss I was blessed to work for was completely for the people on his team and for the enterprise to be successful. And you know what? The people happily performed their best work for him. He was truly a leader who serves. The second boss, he was plenty smart, challenging, and very ambitious for his own career advancement. And his approach did not bring out the best in the team, wasn't motivating, and it didn't generate great performance results. Well, at this point in my career, I didn't know a lot about servant leadership, but I found out as I started to read that it's not a new idea. In fact, it's thousands of years old. The earliest reference to servant leadership was from a leader named Lao Tzu who wrote about it in the fifth century BC. He was an ancient Chinese philosopher who is now known as the founder of Taoism. And he said this, a leader is best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done, his aim fulfilled, they will say, we did it ourselves. I've come to think of that as the best way to evaluate whether servant leadership is in effect. It's a really simple principle. Do the people know even who the leader is or do they view the entire team as the leader that comes together? The words I chose to guide my journey um, come from another quote. It's a faith-based quote, but the principle is actually common to almost all belief systems. You probably have heard of something called the golden rule, but I like this version of it, which says in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Some versions say, consider others more significant than yourselves. Look out for their interests. That's become uh, a passion point for me in leadership is to ask myself and to ask others, are we thinking about others before we think about self-interest? Now, there was an individual named Robert Greenleaf uh, who was not a philosopher or a religious man. He was just in middle management at a large company called AT&T. He created a test to measure servant leadership. It's called the Greenleaf test. And here's my paraphrase of it. Are the people better off because of your leadership? Are the people better off because of your leadership? I often wonder if leaders actually ask this question on a daily basis, how would that change the decisions they make and the outcomes that occur? Because if the people are better off, my thesis is the business is probably better off too. So that led me to ask the question about whether this servant leadership idea produces results or not. Turns out this is very well documented. There are academics and authors that have documented this in famous books. Some of them may be on your bookshelves. Uh, one of the originals was called Good to Great by Jim Collins, a phenomenal researcher from MIT and a great author of many books. And more recently, Adam Grant at uh, Wharton University has published a book called Give and Take. Both of these books are hard, factual, research-based treatises that show you 
financial evidence that leaders who focus on serving or giving to their teams deliver superior financial performance. So that principle I mentioned at the outset, serving performs is apparently true by the facts, by the numbers. But I'm sure if you've been around a bit, you know that there are very few people that practice this premise. And I think over time, our culture has concluded that the leaders who serve are probably best, or being best suited to charity organizations or nonprofits because we tend to think that it's a self-absorbed high ego leader who delivers the performance results. And in fact, we often say nice guys finish last, right? So it became my passion to challenge this idea head on because I think the conclusion is dead wrong. I believe there is in fact an approach to leadership that yields superior results. And if that's true, I wonder out loud why it's not being taught in our business schools, our universities, our culinary centers, or uh, any corporation in the country, and even in our communities. At Popeyes, we gave this approach a name. We call it Dare to Serve, and that's the name of the book we wrote to tell about this one case study. And the subtitle is just as important as the title, How to Drive Superior Results by Serving Others. Because as I share with you the transformation of the business performance of Popeyes, I'm going to share with you the tenets of Dare to Serve Leadership. We define that as a dare to serve leader is someone with the courage to take the people to a daring destination and the humility to serve them well on the journey. And here's what we really discovered over the years of putting this into effect. There was a tension, a, quite a dynamic tension between daring and serving our team. And in fact, it appears to create conditions where they want to and do perform their best. So the idea here is that daring and serving lead to superior results. Let me quickly tell you the story. Tommy set it up really well. In the fall of 2007, this was a train wreck. Leadership had changed. They'd had like um, four CEOs in seven years. Um, change was constant, chaos. Everybody was unhappy. I always said they, they felt like some version of mad, sad, or numb from the experience and circumstances at the company. The relationship between the owners of the restaurants, the franchisees, and the corporation was as bad as it had ever been. The investors were grumpy. The stock had fallen to $11, and that was not a hope, happy moment. It had peaked at $34 just a few years before. And we decided to put our idea of servant leadership to the test in this crucible moment of the corporation. Because what if, under the scrutiny of 340 franchise owners and the pressures of being a publicly traded company, could we persuade the world that servant leadership was a path to performance results? It was a risky proposition, but off we went. There were three tenets of our leadership approach that I'll share with you today. Real simple. First, we declared a daring destination. We had this big convention in a Florida hotel. Um, I believe it was a Rosen Hotel in Orlando. 
we stood in front of our entire franchisee system and said, we are going to become the hottest concept in quick service restaurants. I always say, you know, put it on a background of the universe if it's a bold, crazy objective. And that's what we did. But I'll tell you what, on that particular day, was a daring destination plausible or did that sound crazy? I would tell you most people thought it sounded crazy. We were an old, out-of-date chain. We were a thing of the past selling fried chicken. And after that conference, we had to go home as a leadership team and turn that into a living reality for a whole bunch of skeptical people. So that's what we did. We went back and created a business plan. As you would expect, we had very specific goals, strategies, and tactics. If you would go ahead to that next slide of the roadmap, we had four tenets uh, of things that we needed to do. We had to come up with some new products to build our brand and our guest um, happiness factor. We had to improve the guest experience. We were slow as mud. We had to save some money in the supply chain because our restaurants weren't making money. I'm sure somebody on this call has been in that spot before. And then we had to build some new restaurants because that's actually how you create value in a public company. And so those were the four things we had to do. It wasn't rocket science, but none of them were happening at the moment. So it was a bold, courageous plan, but it was also really specific and it was based on the simple tenets of what makes a great restaurant chain. This part is not rocket science, but it's really important to call out with clear goals. So in the early stages of this turnaround, here are a few of the things that we did. Our product innovation pipeline was empty, meaning we had no menu news. We had no innovation. We didn't have any reason for you to come try us out. Everything on the menu looked like the picture. It was all the same color as fried chicken and it didn't look very interesting. So we had to build a process and a system uh, to fill that pipeline. That's the next slide, which is process. You know, if you don't have an approach to getting your menu refreshed, you're probably not gonna have anything tested and ready to go. So that was the case for us. We didn't have any process for testing and learning about whether our customers liked our menu and our new products. So we had to create that process so that we always had something proven and new and ready to join the menu. Then we created um, award-winning new products. This is just one example called Red Stick Chicken. It was all about Tabasco, which is straight out of Louisiana, which was the heartland of our brand. It had all kinds of brand regional food credibility um, and it had fabulous flavor profile. We created a whole system for creating four of these ideas a, a year for national launch that were tested and proven. Then of course, for a chain, we had advertising. Uh, we created an ad campaign with a character who eventually became very famous. Her name was Annie, and she was our spokesperson for our brand. And she told you with great authenticity about the food traits of Louisiana recipes. And she just made it enticing to want to come to the restaurants. And then we created a media plan that told our story. We had never had nationwide advertising, so we went and got the uh, commitment from our owners to invest in national advertising so that the story we had created could be told, right? Um, a great story if it's not available to your customers is not a great story. And then finally, as you know so well from club management, we had to transform the look and feel of our restaurants. 
uh, they were old and dated and tired and nobody wanted to hang out there. So we created entirely new design and transformed the look and feel of our restaurants for our customers. So I tell you all that just to give you a sense, there was a lot of transformative things, business things we had to do to change the direction of the brand. And they were really big, high impact initiatives. We also had to make our drive-throughs faster. As I mentioned, we had to save money in the supply chain. We had to tackle the big, hard troublemakers in our business to get to success. But I believe this was only a portion of the story. So let me draw your attention to the second tenant of the turnaround. The first was the daring destination. The second is about choosing who you serve. In any business, including your business, you have many people to serve. We went into a conference room and started making a list on the whiteboard. We have vendors, shareholders, management, employees, bankers, investors. You know, it just went on and on. At one point, the CFO raised his hand and said, Cheryl, what's the point? We have to serve all of those people. But we challenged ourselves to stare at the list and really tease out who the most important person or group of people was on this list that we needed to serve. If we didn't serve this group of people, the whole business plan would fall apart. Now, if you know anything about franchising, what it is, is we offer an operating system, a menu and a brand to an entrepreneur. And that entrepreneur uh, signs a contract to use the brand and the menu, but they do everything else after that. They borrow the money, build the restaurant, hire and train the crew, and build a relationship with the community where they serve and the guest. So as you're probably guessing, it's pretty important that the model work for the franchise owner or no one else gets the benefits. So on that day, if you advance the slide just one, um, you will see that we chose the franchise owner as the most important person that we had to serve. And we decided that day that we would measure our success by their success, not by accountants versions of success, shareholder versions of success. No, it would be the P&L, the cash on cash returns that a franchise owner uh, needs to be called a success. So we decided that day to serve them well. Here's a picture of our franchise board leader, leaders that we worked with at that point in time. They look really happy in the picture, but as I mentioned, they weren't so happy on the first day of this conversation. And one of the reasons was, even when we decided we wanted to serve them, we weren't all that sure that we liked them. Now, let, you, let think about this with me, right? What is your mindset? towards the people you serve. Do you like them or do you find them annoying? Franchisees can be pretty passionate and emotional. They can be really angry if they don't get their way. They call you up and yell a lot on the phone. Maybe you've had a customer or a group of people you serve like this. And some days it wasn't so easy to like them. But looking back on this decision we made to serve them, probably the most important thing we did was to flip our attitude towards the people we serve. And we called it loving the people you lead. Next slide. Now, before you get all upset about me using uh, this feeling word <laughs> called love, I want you to know I'm not talking about feelings. I'm talking about love, the action verb. What did we demonstrate towards these people? 
to demonstrate our concern, our respect, our love for them? Would we love them for making a deep and huge investment of their personal time and sweat and financial equity into the business? Would we love this passion that they had about our future success? Would we love them enough to stop talking and listen to their point of view about the business? Well, that was a really game-changing idea. I would tell you more than anything else we worked on, this idea of working daily to love the people we lead differentiated our results and our reputation from our customers. But importantly, I don't wanna be the one telling you that. I want the franchisees to tell you the story and I couldn't bring them here with me today. So you'll have to look at it from a numbers point of view. We surveyed them each summer and we asked them to evaluate our leadership. And when we first did this survey, they gave us a 76% satisfaction rate. If you have teenagers, that's about a C grade in high school, right? So we moved that 76% satisfaction rating to a 94 or 95% rating, depending on the year. And we held it there for the balance of our tenure of leadership over six more years from that time point. So we got to A, satisfaction and boy you don't you that grade never sticks right unless you're delivering on that promise day after day so these were the tenets we declared a destination a daring destination step one and then we chose to really measure our success by their success but this one that's on the screen there are no great leaders without great results this is the third and important tenet we did develop, uh, we did deliver results for these franchise owners. Now think about it. If you don't deliver results for them, why on earth would they care about your leadership or think well of it? Um, and why would anyone wanna listen about servant leadership if there was no results attached to it? I would also share with you that I don't think you can serve anyone well in your team if you don't help them deliver superior results, because that's where they learn and grow and prosper and get promoted. That's truly serving the people. So the results of Popeyes, I just shared to kind of capstone this story. Did we actually deliver? Well, let me give you a few stats. Uh, by uh, the year 2016, which would have been nine years later, um, our sales were up 45%. Our restaurant profits were up 75%. Our market share was up 75%. We had remodeled the chain. Our customer satisfaction was up. We were building more new restaurants than anybody in the US besides McDonald's. And we were opening up Popeyes in 26 countries around the globe. As you see in this chart, the public measure of our performance, our stock price increased from $13 last day of 2007 to $64 at the end of 16. So I would argue that everyone, including the shareholders, were served well. The company, as uh, Tommy told you, was bought for $79 a share in March of 2017. And that was the highest multiple ever paid for a restaurant chain in the industry. So while that was not our goal, to be clear, everyone had been well served by the journey that we led. Every conventional metric of performance uh, was a win. 
uh, particularly against our competition. So that's the credibility I bring to you in this servant leadership story today. It actually works. So I wanna pivot now to talking about the implications to your leadership, um, right where you are in your club. Be, and as we go through this, I'll be challenging perhaps some of the convictions you have about leadership and whether you're being the best version of your leadership self that you can be. I do find it so important to explore your personal convictions. And often your convictions about leadership come from uh, traumatic events, not just success, right? I've acknowledged to you today that some of my own uh, convictions came from hard experiences, not uh, wonderful, uh, idyllic circumstances. So I want you to think as we talk about this, about the tenets required for servant leadership to work in your organization. First of all, I want to talk about courage. Next slide, please. Courage is a really difficult thing in leadership. Um, let's back up and talk about it just in general terms. Um, I actually have a daughter who's done this picture, this bungee jumping thing, and that is not for my personality. So Katya did it good for her, but not for me. I'm really not very courageous when it comes to physical risk. I don't take them, but I do take a lot of risks in business. So I've studied risk-taking a lot, and I found this really arcane academic study, but it's kind of fun, so let me share it briefly with you. There was this research team named Brimer and Odes in Australia, and they did this research on people who participate in these crazy extreme sports like bungee jumping, but also like base jumping, waterfall kayaking, big wave surfing, extreme mountaineering, all these crazy things that I will never do. But they discovered this really important transformation that occurred in the people who did these extreme sports. They found the attributes of courage and hum humility increased in these leaders. Isn't this interesting to think that if you are an extreme sport participant, the two personality traits that are growing and important to you are courage and humility. How could that be? Well, let's think for a moment. If you were doing the one team sport is mountaineering in extreme sports, you know, like climb Mount Everest. So let's think about that. If you're leading a team to climb Mount Everest, it's pretty easy to say, yeah, that would take courage to get to the top of the highest mountain in the world. But think also it would take an immense amount of humility because you would have to think about the safety, preparation, and well-being of your team on the way to that top of the mountain. And you would have to know that not all teams get to the top of the mountain. And you would also probably know that the weather is unpredictable and you don't control all the conditions for success on the mountain. So it is an extreme sport to lead people to the top of the mountain and to have the courage to take them there and the humility to serve them along the way. So I would challenge you to say that servant leadership is that kind of extreme sport. If you wanna be a great boss for your team and lead them to strong performance, you're gonna to need to summon up your courage because this is not a conventional leadership approach with widespread support. So think today with me about how courageous you want to be taking your team to a daring destination.
Let me give you perhaps an example. If you'd go to the next slide, what would be an example of courage in your environment? Well, it could be any bold action that you take that has risk for the benefit of your team's performance or the benefit of your customer experience. So I mentioned earlier men menu innovation. Menu innovation's a way that you serve your guest. Cost reduction is a way you serve your enterprise. Keeping things simple in the back of the house is a way you serve your team members. What are the bold, big ideas that you are putting in play for the benefit of your team members and your guests' experience? Because they're looking for you to look out for them. And they're also looking at how you do this. So let's look at this second attribute, this attribute of humility. To be honest, I think most people, when they talk about humility, think about doormat or weakness uh, or some very kind of undesirable words. I know that when I was uh, coming up through the ranks, I met leaders in nonprofit organizations that I'd say were truly humble. Maybe they ran a soup kitchen or were a social worker or a missionary on the field. And they were pretty easy to admire for their humility. Many times in business, the restaurant business or the club business, I met some people with some big egos and maybe more self-centered. Eventually, I had to choose the profile of my own leadership and decide who I wanted to be. Was I going to be the self-interested leader or was I going to be or aspire to be, because it's hard to be a leader with humility? For me personally, there was a revelation that came from an unexpected life event. And I'll share that with you uh, for the insight it gave me. In 2001, I was diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer. It was very unexpected. Um, and I was a type A personality, probably just like you. And I said, that is not in my plan. To keep me busy during the treatment protocols, a friend of mine gave me a book to read. And I frankly only got to the first page of this book, but it changed my attitude towards leadership forever. The book is called The Purpose Driven Life. It's written by Rick Warren. And page one says this in simple terms. Do you want to know the purpose of your life? Well, the purpose of your life, it is not about you. Now you have to remember, I'm sitting in a hospital lobby at the moment while I'm reading this, and I was pretty much just worried about me right then. I wasn't thinking about my team or back at the office. But boy, these words caught my attention. You know the purpose of all this, Cheryl? It's not about you. I wrote that on a post-it note and taped it to my laptop. Because this is the challenge that Rick Warren puts in front of us. What if the only purpose of your life and the only legacy after you're done doing your leadership role is this memory that you leave in the minds of the people you met and serve, your team and your guests. Are they going to remember you for being the best boss they ever had or the worst? Which will it be? I want to challenge you to think about perhaps serving others is the purpose of your leadership and maybe even the purpose of your life. And then let's take it to that one step further, this idea of loving the people you lead. 
if it's an action verb, what would people say about how you demonstrate your care and concern for them? Would they say you know them well? You know their strengths, their values, their life experiences. Would they say you positioned them, trained them, prepared them for success? Would they say that you speak candidly with them? Would they say you notice them, celebrate them, and thank them for their contributions? Would they say you're constantly looking for opportunities to advance them, perhaps even promote them? And would they say that you occasionally hug them in an HR appropriate way? Now, this may not have occurred to you yet, but if you say you respect others and you value their contributions, the only action there is for you as a leader is to love on them daily. That's the evidence that they have dignity, they have purpose, and they are the important contributors to the organization. I think it's the most underestimated aspect of leadership. And if you're willing to love the people you lead, it will have a multiplier effect on the performance of the enterprise. So reflection question, how are you gonna demonstrate your love for the people you serve? And what would that look like specifically at your club? So let me think out loud with you about examples of this in action. I'd really ask you to think about that list of things I just cited off. How much time do you spend with individual people on your team? This is the number one reason people tell me they are not team focused. They tell me it takes too much time. And over the years, that has become the nemesis in my mind of people who say they want to be servant leaders and people who are. How much time do you invest in your team members as a group and as individuals? How well do you know them? How often do you talk to them? How much time do you put into giving them candid but helpful feedback? How much respect do you demonstrate for the contributions they make? How often do you say thank you? Do you know that 70% of the people who go to work in America today have not heard the word thank you in the last week? And I bet some of them work for you. I really wanna press in on this. Knowing your people and uh, attending to them, giving them your precious time is a powerful way to create a team that gives you the highest performance results. So let's wrap up this conversation. Uh, We're gonna be going to questions shortly, but I wanna drop in on this idea of delivering results one more time before we wrap up. Because here's the thing, I think in culture, we think brave leaders, the ones with the big egos on the magazine covers, we think those are the results driving leaders, right? Those in corporations, those are the CEOs, those are the executives. And then at the other end of the spectrum, I think when we think humble servant leaders, we tend to think of leaders who just serve as an end in itself and probably don't pay that much attention to results. And so maybe one of the reasons people don't talk about servant leadership a lot is they have never put together that service can lead to superior performance. So I'm going to give you one more example today to take home with you about what it looks like to create incredible results by serving others. And I'm going to share with you this individual here in Atlanta, a good friend, Eric Nelson. He is the artistic director of something called the Atlanta Master Corral. 
Now, this is a group of volunteer singers, not paid, not college. They come together each season to sing very challenging choral music, some of the hardest music in print. And they perform to sold out concerts four times a year. So these people are on top of their game. I'm gonna have Eric talk to you for a few minutes in the video that's coming up. It may not be your style of music, but let's see what we can learn from his approach to leadership. Beth? Sound? We're not hearing the sound, Beth, for some reason. I'm hearing the um, audio, so I'm, um, I'm not sure. Maybe I had to turn my audio on. Let's see here. Of about 50 volunteer singers. Yeah. The group aspires to sing at the highest level possible, to rival the best professional choirs in the world. We are aspiring to something really, really remarkable. There is no question that great music is great music for a reason. We really want to do the best music that we can possibly find. And that music is often very, very difficult. I am asking them to learn music, prepare music, sing music, and be present at a very, very high level all the time. So the note that gets lost, ladies, as sopranos, is when you dip back down in the middle register. Uh, it, it can be louder in general as we get more and more comfortable with it and the organ opens up. But when we learn it and when we engage with it, we are stretched and our audiences are stretched and we become more than we were. When it comes to rehearsal, I have prepared everything that is going to happen, not just in that particular evening's rehearsal, but I know where we're headed. So in a way, I'm the most important person in the room. On the other hand, when we perform, there's only one person on that stage who did not sing a note, and that's me. So I am guiding, preparing, enabling, shaping, but in the end, I'm the least important person in the room. It is our job to be routinely extraordinary. When our audience comes, they want to be exposed to something extraordinary, something that is more beautiful than anything that they've experienced before or rarely experienced before. And they leave that concert talking about how extraordinary it was. But for us as the performers, we have to expect it. We have to strive for and nurture that level of excellence every week. For us, being extraordinary is routine. And moment by moment, people are agreeing on these things and lining up the music so that it will serve 
this end result, which is beautiful and beyond that, beautiful in a way that no one could do alone. So the sound of each individual voice is important. The true beauty comes from singing shoulder to shoulder, voice to voice, each participating in something greater than themselves. Well, I hope that was provocative to you. I just love it when he says that you may see me as the most important person in the room, but on the night of the performance, I don't sing a note. Does that sound like something you can relate to in your clubs on the night of the performance? I challenge you to bring these learnings to bear in your clubs and in your circumstances. I want to get to a few questions here at the end. So let me close with this uh, final thought. One evening a long time ago, I attended a leadership conference kind of like this one. And I called home that night to tell my daughter about how amazing it was. And she was three years old at the time. And I said to her, so Katie, I learned all about servant leadership today. And it was the most amazing thing I ever did. And she said, well, that's great, mom. Today, I went to the summer Bible study camp and I learned this first. Now that you know these things, mom, you'll be blessed if you actually do them. Now, I've never forgotten that counsel from the mouth of a babe that she called me to accountability. And she reminded me that it's not enough to know these things about servant leadership and to have these convictions if I don't put them to work. So that is my challenge to you today as we wrap up. I encourage you to be a leader who dares to serve. Thank you for your time. Let's open it up for some questions. Tommy. Thanks, Cheryl. <clears throat> On the call, there's leaders from clubs and when you talked about your story with Popeyes, that you did something very bold, um, you chose who to serve, where I think most restaurants probably serve their customers first, and you chose as a company to serve your franchise owners. And that, tested, that, that testament, it was one of the major success of the growth of your, of your company. These clubs, I bet 95% of them think that the members are who they should serve. Um, do you think there's a maybe an argument that maybe they should be serving their employees first and not their members and maybe changing who they, who they serve. Yeah, I have a strong point of view on this one. Um, and that is that uh, as a club leader, the team is who you serve. And the reason is the guest only experiences your team. I mean, you can walk around the house and say hello to some people and be 
a positive force in a dining room or in the bar, but you cannot deliver a brilliant guest experience every time on your own accord. It all is gonna be in, in the work of the server that makes the contact with the guest. And so, um, yeah, I don't think you can underestimate the difference between a team member who's excited to be at work, feels well-led, well-counseled, well-trained, uh, happy, uh, and the way they portray the service experience to someone who's miserable about coming to work. Maybe one of the most insightful books I ever read was called Three Signs of a Miserable Job, and it was about a restaurant company, right? It's really easy for restaurant work or club work to be a miserable job. So what are you doing as the leader to create conditions where the team feels they have a great job and they have a great opportunity to serve and a great opportunity to grow and learn and develop under your leadership? That is what's gonna to lead to higher guest experience scores at the end of the day. And you know this, this is not rocket science, right? But you know, when you get a compliment from one of your members, it's somebody going, Sue last night was amazing. She found me exactly the wine I wanted and she recommended the scallops and she knocked it out of the park. She didn't say anything about you. And so I really want you to take this to heart that your ratings should come from your team. You should have top score ratings from your team so that your guests will have top five ratings of your team. Yeah, thanks, Cheryl. Um, some of the um, viewers were really interested about what you're doing today, like some of the boards you're serving on, what you're learning about these boards and just kind of your passion, what you're doing today in the world. Sure. Well, as, as you told at the beginning, I primarily do board service and then I do project work for companies that are either being bought by uh, a new owner or uh, experiencing tough business performance because I'm considered a turnaround person, right? I like train wrecks best. Um, and so um, I, I love it because it keeps me active in multiple businesses and I continue to learn. I think leaders have to learn their entire lives to be of any value. And so Chick-fil-A is a great learning experience. I'll give you one tidbit from Chick-fil-A that will work in your club. And that is they are zealots about making it easy to work in their restaurants. Uh, everybody thinks they're fabulous because they say it's my pleasure at the drive-through. That's really not the secret. The secret is they've taken every nuisance out of the way for the team member so that they actually are having fun as they serve the guests. So operations, 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 you know, make it easy, set things up for ease, for efficiency, uh, make it smooth sailing once you go into the busy part of the night for your team members. Um, I also serve on the board of U.S. Food, which is all about supply chain. It's about just uh, bringing you all the food and paper products and everything that you need at your club. Uh, some of you may be served by U.S. Foods, and I hope we're doing a great job for you. Um, really important for them to be thinking about what the challenges are for you. And I'm sure you've had this experience. The delivery comes at the wrong time and really messes up the back of the house, right? And you have to give them feedback that says, please come at a time we can handle the truck and not during a dinner rush or not during peak hours and those kinds of things. And so really uh, there an opportunity to, um, my voice in the boardroom there is to remind them what it's like to be in a restaurant so that they don't lose that perspective as they go about becoming a fast, efficient, cost-effective distribution center. And then um, the thing I'm learning in one of my projects right now 
um, is, is just so telling um, is it's a project with a company that franchises. And I'll just tell you that the insight there is it's really hard to love your franchisees, your owners, or in your case, your team members. You know, attitude, my mother always said this, your attitude is your altitude. You know, it sounds trite, but it's just true. The attitude that you as the leader come to work with is usually the attitude your team displays to the team. So if you find your team members annoying, grumpy, frustrating because they keep changing their schedule or coming in late, that's an attitude problem on your part. It's an attitude problem on their part too, but together we're gonna get in a better frame of mind about how, who we serve and think about what's causing these problems that are frustrating me. How do we get to another place together? How do we get aligned on our goals? Those kinds of conversations that bring the attitude to a higher level. Attitude is everything in the uh, moment of truth. Gerald, my friend, uh, Matt Lambert uh, and Marisol Country Club, um, in Palm Beach, Florida, um, asked a more of a poignant question about labor shortages, minimum wage, just your thoughts on, on that. Yeah, I, I've never seen a time as difficult as the one we're headed into right now is the, the answer to your question. This is gonna be, it's gonna challenge us to the core. US Foods right now uh, is short thousands of people to get the food to you. And I'm sure you've experienced it in a delivery. Uh, problem uh, right at this moment because there are not enough truck drivers and there's not enough waitresses and there's not enough of anything. Um, so I would tell you it, there's only one solution. Um, you have to create a place that people want to work more than the next place. Um, yes, pay matters, but you've got to pay competitive rates anyway. I get very not worked up about minimum wage because I've never paid minimum wage, even a fast food chain. And here's why, if Walmart pays X dollars per hour and you want someone Walmart quality or better, you have to pay it, it's the competitive wage. And so I think the differentiator is the place. People have to say, I wanna work for John. People rave about working for John and I wanna be in his team. That's the key to getting through a labor um, challenge. And as you know, it's all about referral, right? People come to you because they've been referred to you, not because they saw a post on a career site. Okay, so referral, 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 and it better be really good news about working on your team. And last question, Cheryl. Um, Indra had a great question about, she's a leader at her club. And she has some low performing or underperforming people that have been there for a long time. How do you love, how do you serve underperforming people um, as a heart led leader? So the number one issue I see with leaders on, on poor performance is they fail to ask themselves this question. Have I set up very clear expectations for this person about what they need to do to perform at a high level? Because even an employee that's been in your club 20 years, maybe they've never worked for anybody that took the time to show them what great looks like. How do you put, you know, a hotel uh, owner, did you actually fold the sheet corner form and show them how it's done? Did you actually show them a pristine clean bathroom so they know what a great standard is? I mean, you can do these things in your club where you say, listen, we need a reset on expectations. Our expectations have moved. These are what they are. This is where I need you to grow in capability. What's standing in your way? What do you need from me to get to that? And then it transfers to their responsibility. You've set the clear expectations. Now you give them feedback, 
kind but firm feedback against those expectations. Um, and if they can't move or are unwilling to move their performance, then it's clear that they're not uh, moving forward and helping the team become a better version of itself. And you tell them that very directly and very candidly. People say you should never fire someone if you're a servant leader. I have fired many people. Very few for skills, usually for bad attitude. So test that in your mind too. Skills, I can usually find a way to communicate the expectation and get improvement. Bad attitude, largely up to them to bring their best self to work. So there's just a couple of quick thoughts.